Hello and welcome to In A Good Place, the wellbeing and personal development podcast from Hello, hosted by me, Rosie Nixon. It's great to have you here. In each episode, I'll be chatting to an inspirational personality. And for this, our second season, I'm also going to talk to our guests about key moments when their lives moved into a new chapter. I'm calling this a reset, and it's a topic that gets me really excited. Since we launched this podcast, I've been on my own reset journey. I've refashioned my working life, going from editor-in-chief to the role of creative brand ambassador at Hello, allowing myself more time for my family and for my other passion, writing books. It has given me a new lease of life. So I thought this would be a really interesting area to dive into with my guests. So I've asked them to come to the recording with two reset moments for us to discuss as part of the chat. At the end of each conversation, there will be some takeaways and I guarantee you will feel one step closer to creating the life you want to wake up to. Here at Hello, we love smashing a taboo and especially when it comes to giving airtime to women's health issues. Did you know that one in three women will experience some form of bladder weakness in their lifetime? It's an especially common experience for new mums. And 30% of women are using the wrong products to help manage these issues. It's important to always seek medical advice, but in the meantime, the 10 discreet ultra pads range are specifically designed for bladder weakness, keeping you dry and odor free for up to 12 hours. So as a busy mum, you can go about your everyday life in confidence. Thank you, Tenna, for being a part of our mission to support others in vulnerable moments. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Good Morning Britain newsreader and host Charlotte Hawkins to the podcast. Charlotte's career in news began in 1999 when she worked for ITN and LBC Radio. She first appeared on television in Meridian Tonight, remember that, in 2003, and went on to host Sky's breakfast show Sunrise with Eamon Holmes. Charlotte was then part of the launch team for Good Morning Britain in 2014, alongside Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd. That's nearly a decade of very, very early mornings. She appeared in Strictly Come Dancing in 2017 with dancer Brendan Cole and hosts a classic FM show. Charlotte will be working for ITV Racing across the summer festivals, kicking off with Royal Ascot. Her other big role in life is mother to her eight-year-old daughter, Ella Rose, with husband Mark, the baby she described as a little miracle when they shared the first pictures of Ella Rose on the pages of Hello, and the family live not far from me, actually, in Surrey. I'm used to seeing Charlotte on the showbiz circuit at glam events, as well as on the pages of Hello, and I'm thrilled we're finally able to sit down and have an in-depth conversation. So welcome, Charlotte. Thank you. And tell me, are you in a good place? I am in a good place, actually. And do you know what? It's such a great question because I think we all say to each other, how are you? How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And you think, are people actually fine? Because it's a sort of standard answer that everybody gives, isn't it? But I am today, despite the fact I got up at 2.45 for Good Morning Britain, which is always a bit of a shock to the system. You never get used to it, even after all the number of years I've been doing it. And yeah, so I started on Good Morning Britain 2014. But when I started at Sky, that was on the breakfast show as well back in 2007. So I've had an awful lot of early mornings. So sometimes that can get in the way Mm. of feeling in the best place, I have to be honest. But today the sun is shining. I'm sitting here with you, Rosie. I'm in a good place. (laughs) Oh, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? The sun shining outside. So you have already had a full working day. 2.45 has slightly blown my mind. Do you ever get used to that? I don't think you do. And even this morning when my alarm went off, I was thinking, what is that noise? Then you think, oh, it's my alarm. It's the middle of the (laughs) night. I've got to get up for work. And I think, you know, yeah, uh, people sort of say to me, do you wake up at that time on your day off? No, I don't. I definitely don't. I mean, I wake up early. I wake up at half five and think, Oh, I've had a lovely lie-in. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But luckily, I can usually go back to sleep. I have no problem sleeping wherever, whenever. That is the one benefit. Although, you know, I will drop off on a train in the back of a car, you know, having my nails done wherever I manage to drop off. But um, Wow, you're lucky that you can catnap like that. I find that very, very hard. So how does that work with home life? Do you have to, like, sleep in separate rooms so that you can get up early or... 
How do you manage that? No, we just kind of get on with it, really, yeah. I think. I do have the same bedtime as my eight-year-old. Right. <laughs> so I will say to Ella Rose, it's time for you to go to bed now because I need to go to sleep. Yeah. And actually that's worked out quite well because she knows that she has to settle down quickly. I'll either be going to sleep at the same time as her or I'll be upstairs, you know, finishing off looking at stuff for the next day's show before I then try to get to sleep. And, you know, when Ella Rose was born, it meant that I could then get back and spend more time with her in the day. So I do like the fact now that although my day can be over by the time other people are going into work, you get used to having that time to yourself Mm. if you're not doing other things, which actually on a day when it's sunny is great because you can structure your day. You can think, right, well, I'll take a bit of time. I'll go and sit in the sun. I'll do some emails out there and then I can do some other work later on. So it gives you that flexibility, Mm. which I, I really enjoy. That's very true. That is kind of handy as a parent, isn't it? So what time is bedtime? Is that eight o'clock? Eight o'clock, yeah. Yeah. Eight or nine o'clock. So I'm even I think at the weekends, it's now if we go out for a late night, it's quite weird for my body to adjust to that one. Because sometimes in the past, if you get up at that time in the morning, then maybe you've got a busy day all day. Obviously, we've got evening events, you know, you get invited to so many lovely, amazing, exciting things that you want to go to at the same time. But before you know it, you could be up for 24 hours. So you do kind of have to keep an eye on making sure that you have enough sleep. And I think I found that increasingly important. You know, back in the day, I could definitely burn the candle at both ends. And you'd think, this is great. I'm going to go to this party. And then as long as I get a few hours sleep, it's fine. But now I'm very much like, I would like to be in my bed now. (laughs) So I'm saying to all my friends, I'm happy to go out for dinner, but could we make it an early table just in case? Because, you know, sometimes there's nothing worse, is there? When you're then it just tiredness hits you and you think, actually, I'm not going to be as much fun now (laughs) as I would have been at seven o'clock earlier on this evening evening yeah so an early table sort of three in the afternoon (laughs) (laughs) nice cocktails in the afternoon yeah I think that's a good way forward and how do you wind down in the evening do you have a sort of routine it just depends I think because every day is different then I think yeah I mean I'm I've got a smile on my face because I'm harking back to you know in the pandemic and obviously it was all a bit crazy everything was up in the air then wasn't it and doing homeschooling and I used to have a definite wind down point where I'd have a gin and tonic at about five o'clock and then I'd dance around the kitchen with Ella Rose and it would be like, whoa, you know, work is over, homeschooling is over and there was a definite mark. Okay, that's the evening. Not quite to the same extent now, but I mean, I think it's just lovely, isn't it, when you can... As a family, I think when you're all then back together and you've got that time in the evening and that's the time when I think, right, okay, you know, I can switch off. But I think in the news world, the trouble is you never know when things are happening. So you can never completely switch off because you've got your phone pinging saying, oh, there's breaking news. So you're always keeping Mm. half an eye out for what's going on or watching the news, trying to sort of wrestle the remote control over whatever Ella Rose wants to be watching at any given time. That is true, talking about the news, and there is so much difficult news at the moment. How do you deal with that mentally? Does it get on top of you at times? I think there are those stories that really hit home and you're faced with quite often sort of doom and gloom, serious, horrible, depressing, sad stories on a daily basis and some days it does affect you more than others and there are the ones that just you know I mean throughout the pandemic it was heartbreaking it was such a anxious time for everybody it was that Mm. breaking news story that kept on going and kept on going and kept on going and that was that was a stressful one because I felt as a journalist I felt a real sense of responsibility for making sure that every single detail we were giving people was correct all the information we were telling people was absolutely factually correct and also we had a great responsibility to hold ministers to account to make sure we were asking the right questions asking challenging questions Mm -hmm. we desperately wanted to make sure that we were holding them to account on behalf of everybody watching at home that that were going through it as well, that were losing people, that were becoming ill. That was a big sense of responsibility. The Grenfell Tower fire as well, Mm. I was on air when that was all happening. And I mean, that was just 
so shocking to watch that unfold. It was just gut-wrenching to see the tragedy as it happened. So that was an upsetting one. And I think it's also when those things affect you, there was a parent who had to make the decision to, you know, throw their child out for rescuers to catch. And it's just things like that when you Mm. think, if I was in that situation, imagine the horror, just how awful that must feel. So I think sometimes you do get particularly personally involved and also those stories that involve motor neuron disease, which is what my dad had and died from. And I interviewed the former assistant chief constable of West Midlands Police, Chris Johnson. He bravely sort of spoke up very publicly about his diagnosis And you try and sort of do a very professional interview and obviously it's all about him, but I did get upset because I did find it really upsetting because I knew what they were going through, what lay ahead. And we sadly just recently lost him and uh, and I went to his funeral. Yeah, it's just one of those ones I think you have that certain personal connection with some of the stories that you cover. Yeah, gosh, I can understand that. And it is very hard sometimes to divorce the personal from the professional persona. But you do do it so well on that show. And I don't know how some of you get through those difficult times with Kate Garraway as well, when she was suffering so much with Derek. Well, that's such an ongoing battle for her. I know. She's putting on that brave face every day. They've just been through so much and I think for her having lived it firsthand Mm. and having all that going on for her at home living through it and then coming in and and having to talk about Mm. it and relive it all on air I've got so much admiration for her so much love for her and and all that she's had to go through and continue to put a brave face Mm. on when she goes on air it's just Mm. it's amazing it's incredible do you lean into self-compassion in times like that when you might be struggling? I think for me, I think a lot of the time I'm always sort of thinking about how those other people are going to be feeling. But I think it is important, isn't it, that we remember what would I say to myself if if I were a friend? Mm. So if a friend was going through a similar situation, you've always got to think, what would I be saying to them? And it's it's easy to forget that sometimes because quite often we are our harshest critics. We have that little negative voice, sometimes mm. louder, sometimes than other times, isn't it? But I think it's important to remember that actually you need to be kind to yourself and give yourself a break sometimes. Yeah. And you kind of get swept up in all of this and it is a message that's easy to forget. So I do have to remind myself sometimes actually take a step back and help yourself get through this if it's a yeah. tough situation. And what are your go-tos when you are going to be kind to yourself? I think for me it's just having a bit of time where I can maybe take a step back. So if I feel like things are getting too much, then it's just maybe trying to clear the diary a bit, keep things simple, take some time and just connect with those things that you know will give you a bit of joy. And for me... That's going out in the garden, it's listening to beautiful pieces of classical music, things like that, just surrounding yourself with those things that will just ground you a bit and give you those moments of joy. And I think that, for me, is what helps me through those Mm. times. Now, you always look immaculately groomed as well. We have a (laughs) very good team at Good Morning Britain. I know, you turned up with your full sort of makeup after the show. I'm very envious. (laughs) It'll be sliding down my face later on, (laughs) honestly. In the sunshine. (laughs) Is that important to you? It's important to me at work. It's funny because I think there's sort of two different sides and my husband always laughs because I step through the front door and, you know, I've got all my makeup done and my hair done and I'll be wearing heels and a dress and I step through as very much Charlotte Hawkins from the TV. Yeah. And then the first <laughs> thing I do is I go up and put my tracksuit on, shove my hair up, you know. Don't tell me to take the makeup off. <laughs> It's I so good. I, I don't always know. Um, so he just laughs and he's like, oh, there she is. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's back. Yeah, she's back. <laughs> and it's the start of the summer season, yes. excitingly. And you're going to be working with ITV Racing again, yes, presenting Royal Ascot. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a dream job. It doesn't feel like a job. 
at all, actually. So we have the team who talk about all the, the actual racing side of things. They have all the expertise. And then Mark Hayes and I, Mark, who does the Fashion yes. on the Range show. So we go around and we just chat to race goers. We talk about the fashion, the lifestyle, mm. the atmosphere. For those people who maybe haven't been to the races, we try to show them what the whole experience is like. And for those people who love the races, you know, that's a big part of it as well, actually, is is that side of things, the kind of event it is. And mm. we just have so much fun. And there's such a brilliant team to work with. I absolutely love it. So I can't wait to be back. Yeah, it's a fantastic event. Always marks sort of the beginning of high summer for me, unless it's pouring with rain, which has been known to happen. In yeah, previous years. fingers crossed for sunshine. And also, I love the fact that, you know, talking about getting dressed up, but it's the one time where you can really go for it. Yes. Because so have you got all your hats planned? I'm, pla I'm in the final stages. <laughs> We're almost there, but I love wearing a hat. And it's one of those events where even when you go to a wedding now, not that many people go all out and wear hats, do yes. they? So going to Ascot, going to the races is the one time when you can really push the boat out and uh, get a great hat and a great outfit. That is a lot of outfits. I know. Are you somebody that does carefully plan everything, <laughs> lay it all out on the bed or yeah, something Well, you at kind home? of have to, but then you do have to have the wet weather contingency outfit as well. And I have to check that the heels are reasonably yes. comfortable because they laugh at me because I won't take them off <laughs> for the whole time. Because obviously that would get in the way of the, the outfit. Yeah. You need to keep How the heels on. How do you on. do that, though? I, don't I find it really so know. hard now wearing heels. It's got harder, I think, because I got out of the habit. As soon as you get out of the habit, yes. then I think it is harder to get back mm. into it, isn't it? But Did I think you see I those trained pictures of Jennifer Lawrence at the Cannes Film Festival wearing flip-flops under her <laughs> Dior haute couture gown? And Maybe I just thought, the, yes. I just need a long enough gown <laughs> where I could just wear flip-flops underneath. That's it. Yeah. You're lovely and tall. Nobody <laughs> would know. <laughs> so, yeah, seriously, though, what we wear can do amazing things for our confidence. Yes. And what is guaranteed to put you in a good place in terms of the look so the for fashion. me it is wearing something bright mm, you know you're in bright pink today yeah, gorgeous shirt thank you it's just you know it's said to affect your mood the colors that you wear and I think if you if you're not quite feeling yourself then actually reach for one of those items in your wardrobe that you know makes you happy which for me is usually something bright, something a bit more fun. And as soon as I do that and then put a bit of makeup on, then I instantly feel like, oh, okay, I'm feeling a bit more like myself yeah. now. So there, I think there are a lot of things that you can do, even if you're not feeling in the best of moods, mm -hmm. that you can almost sort of trick yourself into thinking, okay, we're all right, we can get through this. Just put the smile on, put the face on, yeah. put the right clothes on and then out into the world. Yeah, you're right. Um, it definitely does help put me in a good place too, wearing plenty of colour. Now, you've given me two reset moments in advance of our chat and they're definitely ones that I and probably many listeners will relate to. So we'll go into your first one, which is in 2015, losing your dear dad and your daughter being born a month later. Yeah. Tell me about that time. I mean, it was a tricky time because my dad had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease a few years earlier. So it's one of those diseases where there is no cure. There's not there's not really any effective treatments that people can take. And when you get that diagnosis, it is a death sentence. So it's just it's really horrible for the person going through it, obviously, for the family around them. You watch them deteriorate over a number of years and it's heartbreaking hmm. and at the same time we were trying to have a baby yeah. and that was stressful in itself because of course it's one of those things that for for some people you spend your whole life thinking mm. right not getting pregnant yet and then you think right okay let's have a family and it, it doesn't always work out like that does mm -hmm. it so it was difficult for us we were just about to sign all the paperwork to go ahead with IVF yeah when then miraculously I, I fell pregnant and I'm grateful that my dad was there. You know, he knew he knew that uh, another grandchild was on the way because my both my brothers have children. Mm -hmm. So it was great that I was able to share that news with him and to share that journey with him. But it was heartbreaking mm -hmm. that, you know, we lost him in the January and it was literally a month before wow. she was born. So it was a really... It's the toughest time of my life. Yeah. 
because it was the worst time and the best time separated by just one month. So I hadn't got over the death of my dad when my baby was born. But then, you know, obviously you want to have, you want to be in a great place mentally. You think I need to get myself together because I need to be there for Mm -hmm. her. So I sort of, Uh, I don't really know how I did it, but I just tried to sort of postpone my grief. Definitely when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm not going there yet because I felt so overwhelmed by sadness. And I thought, I don't want this to seep into her at all. So I just need to postpone this Mm. for now. But the only thing was, I thought, I know what's going to happen. You know, you can't hide from this. This is going to come and bite me at some point, which, yeah, which it did. So it was then quite a crash loads of emotions going on it was just a huge roller coaster and it did take me it took me a long time to get myself out of that wow I bet who or what was your greatest support during that time do you know what it's hard to know I think you know I look back now and it all seems a bit of a blur and I think actually my greatest support the person that got me through it was Ella Rose because I had this baby that I needed to be strong for that I needed to be in a good place mentally for and you read all these stories about just how crucial that bond is right at the beginning how babies can pick up on sadness or anything so I was trying to sort of grin like a lunatic and Mm. give her loads of eye contact and however I was feeling inside I was determined that I didn't want her to be affected by it to pick up on it so I think I did keep that to myself. And then I got to the stage where I thought, actually, I need to, you know, for me, routine is important. And I thought I needed to get back to work, to get back to getting my life on track, to Mm -hmm. sort of get that balance, I think. So that was when I started to feel a bit more like myself. And as I say, luckily with my hours, you know, I could be up before she woke up and then I'd get back and I'd be able to spend the rest of the day with her. So mm. it worked out well from that point of view. Uh, I might not have had much sleep, but... No, but um, who does? But, yeah, you can make it work. Well. So how long did you take off as sort of maternity leave? So I had four months off. Yeah. And then I was ready to go back. Yeah. And I think by that stage, I was thinking, I need to continue to make sure that I'm in the best place for me so that Mm -hmm. I can be in the best place for her yeah and a big part of that was going back to work and you know I absolutely love the job I do I feel really privileged to work in breakfast news where we just tell everybody what's going on in the world and I just felt that need to be able to go back at the same time as wanting to be there for her but you know luckily I could make that work. Mm, And you found out that you were pregnant pretty soon after you had started working at GMB. And telling your boss can be quite an anxious time for people, telling your boss that you're pregnant. How did that go for you? Can you imagine? I mean, I couldn't believe it because it had taken up my, you know, all my waking hours up Mm. until that point because we really wanted to have a baby and then I remember the consultant saying to me what you need is a holiday (laughs) yeah because you not think about it you do do a stressful job what you need is you know to not think about it and then of course I finished at Sky had a bit of a break and then started at Good Morning Britain so it was the last thing on my mind because I was focused on this new job completely not thinking about that at all thinking right we'll worry about that later and then of course it happened so you know I mean I you just can't help the timing of these things no sometimes can you children are a blessing yeah so we were just so relieved but I I did kind of say to my boss oh (laughs) it's that time if only you could just see into the future and know that this is going to happen then and it will all be okay. Well, it's but the it's, one thing in life you can't plan. You can't always put a date on it. Yeah. You can sort of think, well, this is what we'd like to happen. But it mm. doesn't always work out that way. What advice would you give to somebody else who's on that journey now? So I think my advice would be definitely start trying for a family as early as you feel ready to because you just never know if you're going Mm. to have problems at least give yourself a bit of time to be able to sort that out because there's nothing worse than that feeling of panic when it's something that's you want it to be so much 
of a part of your future life. And then if you're feeling like that's slipping away from you and that's not going to happen, it is the worst feeling. It's such a horrible feeling. Mm. And it's just all-consuming. It takes up everything because every moment you're thinking, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And like you say, it's like if you knew it was definitely going to happen, but at some point in the future, fine. But you just don't know. There's no certainty. No. And all that investigation into why you might not be getting pregnant can be very exhausting. It can all take time and, and emotionally and, difficult. Yeah. And, you know, I've had friends that have gone through IVF and it's not an easy solution. It's no. not a, a straightforward way out. It's difficult in itself. It's an emotional roller coaster. It doesn't work for everybody. Mm. But, you know, we do feel so blessed that we were able to have... Ella Rose and she's like a little miracle you know she's just so much joy every single day a little cherubic (laughs) gorgeous mini Charlotte (laughs) she really is and also thinking back to losing your father that as a daughter what was that like with your mum and supporting her during that time yeah it's difficult because I wanted to be there for her as well because she's lost her lifelong companion Mm. and it's those little things actually that I think sometimes get overlooked just the fact that she doesn't have anyone to go back to at the end of the day and download to and you know all those things about oh I saw so and so today and you'll never guess what she said and Mm. or I'm not sure how to do this and just made sure that I was there and happy to chat to her for as long as she wanted to talk to to be that person that she hasn't got my dad there anymore Mm. you not everybody has friends that they can just sort of download everything to so I think I wanted to be available to be those ears that she could just Mm. chat to about all those little the minutiae of life that sometimes you just want to get off your chest and I bet Ella Rose's arrival was quite a nice distraction for her at such a difficult time yeah I think you know she was absolutely thrilled as well and it was one of those things that at least we had that positivity and it did kind of feel like the circle of life that my dad left and then Ella Rose arrived and um sorry (laughs) try not to get emotional but it's you know it's it's just thinking back to that time and even sort of at her christening we had her christened at Chichester Cathedral which is where my dad was a canon yeah so he's buried in an area of greenery in the middle that's called paradise yeah and we were able to take her there for the christening Mm. so i stood on the very spot with her and then we sort of just popped her down on the ground and took a photo of her just sat there with him which is just like one of the most special incredibly emotional yeah Yeah. so and you know i just make sure she knows Mm. all about him which is lovely and he buys her Christmas presents and things you know I always say this one's from granddad Frank this is what he would have wanted to have bought you so Mm. um and she has his photo up so she you know she never met him no but she knows him but they share a a bond yeah how do you keep his memory alive now oh in all sorts of different ways so you know I think about him every day he was he was just such a huge figure in my life Mm. he was the person you'd go to for advice he was always so kind and considerate and he always had he always saw something from both points of view and I think I really am grateful for the way that he brought me up to look at the world in that way because I think as a journalist as well you know it's about looking beyond what you're presented with mm. and thinking, okay, well, that's one version of the story, but actually let's think about what these people are going through or let's think about why they might be in this situation. So I think it's sort of just having that ability to look at things in a balanced mm. way and to look at things from a different viewpoint. He was super intelligent as well. I still, he would sort of recite poems to you even in later life that he'd done at school or at university I don't know how he remembered I don't know how he remembered them all but yeah and he loved bird watching so a lot of the time I'll talk to Ella Rose about different birds and that's why she gets things like binoculars and bird books I spy books for Christmas and things like that just to try and sort of keep that Mm. keep that love of nature alive as well yeah 
Now, talking about motherhood, what has surprised you the most about motherhood? I think the thing that surprised me was the fact that I had assumed that you get to mould this little person, that you get to sort of instil your values. <laughs> and, and you know, I know all. what's coming here. Yeah, so <laughs> this, even from a small baby, she just comes out and she's like, right, this is how I am. This is how I do things. And that was it. And I didn't really sort of envisage that they came out as such formed personalities from an, yeah. from an early age. And although we are very similar in lots of ways, and it does drive my husband nuts a little bit because he says it's like having two of you really? in the house. Yes, oh. but she's so much her own person. And I do look at her in, in wonder sometimes. <laughs> just think, I don't know how we created you. I honestly really? don't. Really? What is it's she like? magnificent. I don't know. Just from the things that she comes out with and her turns of phrase and you know I think every day just surprises us just everything about her in a sense I'm super proud though so proud and obviously because of the job I do she's been lucky enough to come to work with me and there was one occasion when we were on holiday and because I end up sort of having to work in the holidays as well we always make a list about things that you want to do in the holidays so I always try and make sure that we tick off all those things on the list so even if I'm working at least we've done all the things that she wanted to do and one of the things was to come into work with me and I saw on the list on a bank holiday Monday that George Ezra was going to be in there who was her oh, wow. favourite singer, yeah. singer so I said to her do you want to come in and meet George Ezra she was over the moon, absolutely over the moon. So I said to work, look, is this okay? Do you think he'll be all right if she just, you know, says hi, maybe it's a signed photo or something. Yeah. She'd absolutely love it. And then they said, well, did she want to ask him like a question or two? I said, oh, she would love to. <laughs> so I said to her, can you think of some questions? So she had a whole list of questions for George Ezra. So she came in and it was only when I was, I was sat there live on air and then they were saying in my ear okay and cue Ella Rose coming in and doing the interview that I suddenly felt really nervous because I thought I've just allowed my child to be on television I've no idea how she's going to actually react in that moment anyway she just walks on and she just says hi to George Ezra interviews him. wow just think amazing I would not have been able to do that at that age, well, I, was, that shows, I was so proud of her. Yeah, I bet you were. And that's enormous self-confidence. I don't know. I think actually she hadn't really realised how it would feel. Because I said to her afterwards, did you feel nervous? She said, I did did feel a little bit nervous when I realised I was just going to have to walk out and it was all going to be on TV. But I think at that age, you don't necessarily understand the magnitude, do you, or the consequences or anything. You're just like, OK, I've got some questions. I'll just go in, I'll sit down, I'll ask him the questions. It's, you yeah. know, sometimes that when you simplify it down like that. Yes. I did an event the other day where I was giving a speech at Buckingham Palace with the Duke of Edinburgh. To, As you do, you know, casual. Yeah, drop that one in, didn't I? <laughs> um, to Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award winners. And yeah. I was with a couple of people who were sort of having to give speeches and were a little bit worried about it. They hadn't given speeches before. And they said, are you, are you nervous? What do you do about nerves? Because it was in front of a few thousand people at Buckingham Palace. And I said, do you know what? If you boil it down to, in essence, what it is, which is just standing up because we'd been given our speeches they wanted us to stick to the wording of you know it all been agreed I'd written my speech but you have to have it checked that everything's yes. you know as it should be so I said if you just boil it down to all you're actually doing is standing up and reading out loud true keep it to the simple fact of what it is don't let the fact that you know yeah there's a few thousand people looking at you which can be a bit off-putting but if you just boil it down to what it actually is and I think sometimes we've got this little bit of our brain that does overcomplicate things, that catastrophizes things, doesn't it? Because it's going through in your head, oh, well, what if I trip up? What if I drop my pages? What if I forget what I'm supposed to say? You know, you're always thinking, what if, what if, what if? And yeah, sometimes, okay, it's good that it's preparing you for every eventuality. So I always think that if there is breaking news, then at least I'm thinking, okay, I'm one step ahead, so I'm prepared for it. But actually, sometimes it's that negative loop yeah. is actually is quite damaging and can get in the way of you doing a good job. Mm. So sometimes you've got to think, right, just boil it down to the basics. You've got this, it's standing up and speaking or standing up and reading. And that's what it is. Yeah. Do you ever have to change that internal voice? 
can it sabotage things sometimes? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I seem to have like that? a lot of chattering sometimes and you just have to go shut up, you know. Yeah. You do sometimes just have to get a grip of yourself. I mean, it depends what place I'm in, I suppose, on that day. But when I'm doing those things that are, for me, something really huge and for me something like say for example Strictly Come Dancing was a big leap out of my comfort zone Mm. for me because although I'm used to working in live television I'm used to sort of just dealing in the facts and the things that I know and then having to step out and perform in front of 11 million people was just amazing on one hand but horrific on the other hand and I did struggle then to control that voice that was going, what on earth are you thinking? You can't do this. You're going to fall over. You're going to forget your steps. Oh. And then I did forget my steps. So then you're thinking, okay, so the worst has now happened. Because <laughs> usually you console yourself with the fact that, yeah. you know, what's the worst that can happen? Everyone says, that. what's the worst that can happen? Oh, I forget my steps in front of 11 million people. Oh, okay, that's happened. Yeah, great. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> How did you cope with the nerves at that time? I'm not sure I did, really. Yeah. I don't think I did. And that's why, you know, I look back and I think, I can't believe I even put one foot in front of the other. Mm. But you just have to get on with it, don't you? You just have to do it. Because what's the alternative? There were times when I thought, I just need to run out of this studio door and not come Really? Oh, gosh. How do you look back on that time? Well, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. It's a phenomenal show to be a part of. But I just wished I could have been better and... I threw everything. I worked so hard trying to nail the dance. And for me, you know, getting up at 2.45, doing Good Morning Britain, dancing from 10 till 6 every single day was exhausting. And I'd get to Thursday afternoon and I'd think, okay, I've remembered the steps. I'm, I'm feeling all right about this. And then I'd get to Friday when you go in the studio and you watch everyone else rehearsing and I'd look at everyone else and I'd think, I feel like I'm in a different competition. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm in my school dance competition and they're all in some glossy showbiz, amazing dance competition. And that's what's going on in my head. So, you know, that's really hard mm. to fight back against in a sense. But at the end of the day, I just had to get on and do my best. And yeah. I look back now and I think, well, what I did my best. I worked so hard. That's all you can ask of yourself, isn't it? Yeah. So although I might have been disappointed, <laughs> I might not ever get over the fact that I was out oh. when I was. Not that I'm still going on about it, obviously, several no. years later. Um, but, do you, you need know, therapy for I this, Charlotte? I do, don't I? Yeah. No, sorry, it's coming back as a stream. Oh. I mean, the pressure of that show is quite unbelievable. I mean, it would be my absolute worst nightmare. So I'm full of admiration for you for even saying yes to doing it. In the <laughs> but first it did place. open me up to more, to being sort of more open to challenges, I think, and pushing myself because from having done that, I realised that I could do much more than I thought I could do, which actually is a nice position to be in. And then I got asked to do the sport relief rowing challenge. And again, that was something that a physical challenge like that, you know, I was never the sporty one at school, so I wouldn't be the one necessarily who would do that kind of thing. But I just thought, oh, do you know what? It can't be any worse. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? And I got so much out of it. So I think I'm more prepared to do challenges now. Don't ask me to jump out of a plane or anything like that. I still hate heights. But yeah, so, you know, at least I think being more open to pushing yourself and actually knowing that you can do more than you think you can Mm. do is quite a liberating experience at the same time. And you strike me as such a positive person. You've always got a positive spin on something. Do you ever struggle to think positively? I mean, thank you, because I do try to be a positive Mm. person. I think even when I'm not feeling positive... I sort of tell myself to look at the positive in something. I'm one of these people that even if I'm feeling sad inside, I will have a smile on my face because I want to feel that way. And I think that's halfway to getting there if you're telling yourself positive thoughts and you have a smile on your face. But no, I mean, I'm not always in that place at all. And I have to work to stay in that place. And I have to recognise you know, if I'm veering too far away from it. So I do have to sort of protect that sometimes. And that will be things like if I feel on an ongoing basis 
you know, I'm not having enough sleep, for example, then that will really affect me. So I have to look at my diary and think, okay, I'm working six days in a row. Four of those are getting up at 2.45. I I need to earmark some time where I'm going to have some naps or early nights just to make sure I'm across it. I'm going to have to make sure I up my nutrition, take loads of supplements, earmark time for exercise. I just have to make sure that that is definitely in there and isn't the thing that gets pushed out because I think, you know, when we all get busy, that's usually the bit that we think, oh, I haven't got time to go for a run. I haven't got time to do that. But that's actually the thing that's going to keep you through it. And I think for me, actually, there's a huge power in however busy you are, however you don't think you have the time, just stopping. Even if it's for a minute, two minutes, just sort of stopping breathing deeply, taking that moment to centre yourself and then that will rejuvenate you to continue. But it's actually really important. You're so right. Sometimes we just don't give ourselves that opportunity to pause. No, and then that's the thing that will give you the strength to be able to carry on in an increasingly busy world as well. And everyone's phone's pinging, they've got emails to answer. And I always look around and I think, I feel like I've got so much to do. And I think sometimes when you feel that sense of being overwhelmed, it's just taking a step back because you can't just keep plowing on and plowing on and plowing on. There will be consequences, whether it's your mental health or your physical health. And I find I tend to get migraines, for example. So if I let it build up and build up and build up and I haven't made sure I've looked after myself, then that's what will happen. Yeah. That I'll get a migraine and it'll be my body just saying, no, we're stopping you now because you've done too much. It always comes out one way or the other. So it's better to sort of recognise the signs and do something about it before you sort of, you know, head too far in down the slippery slope. Do you ever have times without your mobile phone or go on a digital detox? Um, not very often. I should do more. Sometimes I think, you know, the nicest times, I suppose, is every year with my girls, we do a spa weekend and we go to a spa hotel somewhere we kind of tuck ourselves away and that's lovely and quite often you leave your phone in the room you're just all there together and that'll be the one time when everything just gets forgotten which is lovely and it's a really special thing to do and I remember with my nephews they were always on their phone and I did threaten them with a sort of no wi-fi boot camp at my house so I was going to put up a tent in the back garden and switch the wi-fi off but I do actually think it's really important and I look at my daughter Ella Rose now and she's eight and she's obviously desperate for her phone and I'm going to hold off as long as possible because I just dread that whole you know your whole world being taken up by devices and you're permanently at their beck and call and you don't have that space. You don't have that time to just sit and think. And I look back to my childhood where I didn't have a mobile phone. We didn't have anything back in that day. And I used to read loads and just do loads more things with my life. And I just feel like too much of our time is being taken up with that. Do you worry about her and social media? I do. I really do. Because I think... I thought at one point maybe there'd be a backlash and things would move away and we'd all be going back to a bit more of a simpler life. But I think still it's ever present, isn't it? And I just hate this fact as well, I think, for children, for young people, Mm. that they're constantly in the firing line of messages, of negative messaging, whatever it is. And I think that that can be a dangerous place to be. So I just think it's about making sure that you as a parent are giving them the right messages, giving them the resilience, giving them the confidence to sort of see through all of that, hopefully, Mm. and not get too sucked into it, because I think it can be really damaging. Now, you've mentioned nature a couple of times and running, Ben, and we're going to move on to your second reset, for which we're going back to 2010, and that was moving house to the Surrey countryside. Yes, And I'm so pleased. I think it was funny because we were sort of living in London and started to move gradually further and further out. And I've always loved, you know, I grew up living in the countryside and just used to be out and about the whole time. And I just felt that pull to go back there. And 
we couldn't find the right house. We must have looked at so many houses, hundreds of houses. And then I said to my husband, I saw this one, a picture of it. And I said, this is exactly the kind of place we should be living. But it wasn't in the area. You know, it was literally more tucked away than even we had thought we were going to go yes. for. So I said, why don't we just go and have a look at it? And we went to have a look at it and it needed a lot of work. Right. So my husband looked at it and just in horror thinking. <laughs> it's a full time yeah, job. <laughs> it is a full time job. And it was right at the top of our budget. So we were going to have no money to do any of the work at all. But I just fell in love with it. And I said, this is the house I need to live in. And I never want to move out of this house. Yeah. So um, funnily enough, we did end up with that. Oh, wow. (laughs) But it's been a bit of a labour of love because we had to do a lot ourselves. So my husband had to learn how to be a plumber and a tiler. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I would come back. A husband. Yeah, (laughs) which is very handy. Painted the whole house from top to bottom. We've invested a lot of our own personal time, blood, sweat and tears into that. But it is my little oasis of calm, I think. And whenever I've had a busy day, I really appreciate just being able to get back. You know, my heart lifts when I get back to just trees, the outdoors. And I think it does make a difference. And you've just got to find those things that are going to help you on the way to feeling better and being outdoors at one with nature Whatever it is, whether it's gardening or just sitting and being still, is one of those things that allows you to reconnect. And um, even if it's just for two minutes or 10 minutes or however long you can, it's I think it's really important. Yeah. How did your social life change? It changed from the point of view that it's harder to sort of obviously pop into town and do all that. It takes a bit more planning because... You need to work out where you're going to be. But I just love it because we've got to know our neighbours really well. We've got a lovely community where we are. So I don't know about you, but it's just like that whole local thing comes into the fore. And again, with the pandemic, there was such an amazing connection on our road that everybody looked out for everybody else. And it just reminded me the importance of having those lovely people right on your doorstep and what a difference that makes. Yeah, yeah. certainly for me, going out the front door and we've got a golf course kind of opposite where we live and just going for a run, even if I've only got 15 minutes yeah. in the morning, it just does wonders and sets me up for the day. I think that's it. It does lift your spirits. And even sometimes I just look up at the sky or I just think, oh, what an amazing yeah. world we live in. I think sometimes you just need to remind yourself about that really and be present that's what I love about running there's nothing I can do I can listen to perhaps a podcast or something but sometimes I love going with nothing and you all you can hear is the bird song although you've lost me on the running Rosie I really I hate running I hate it oh do you I thought I did this challenge I I do run (laughs) but I don't enjoy it oh no so I did this I did this run a marathon in a month yes. for Prostate Cancer UK oh in memory gosh. of the wonderful Bill Turnbull yes. back in January. And I only did it because they said to me, you know, this is in memory of Bill. And I thought Bill would be so proud. <laughs> yes. I'm going to put myself out and I'm going to do this. And was, I did. Re- I actually enjoyed that having a challenge for a month, I suppose, because I knew that the end was in sight. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was out in the rain, the ice, the snow oh, in January. Doing that. Why did you do it in January? Well, that's just when they did it. <laughs> that's said, a bad month. Can to I do put it in a transfer in. request? I'll happily do it in yes. May or June, but not <laughs> yeah. in January. I'm a fair weather runner all the way. But I could see, actually, I could appreciate It did make me feel better. I will concede that running made me feel better. And I do still run because of that. So if Mm. I'm having one of those times where you think, oh, it's all getting too much, then you're like, do you know what? Put your running shoes on, get out there. And I guarantee that just getting your blood pumping, getting everything going, and then when you soon feel better when you get back. That's it. And I always feel like I can sit down at the computer and do some good work when I've been for a run. The oxygen going around the brain is almost like giving it a bubble bath. It does. I, I can, think it clears I can head, feel it. it. Yeah. yeah. And makes me feel more creative. How do you fit in exercise? So I have to schedule it in usually because otherwise I'm one of these people that I just suddenly realise I haven't you know, I haven't done it when I should have done. So I do yoga every week. I do swimming. I go to the gym once a week. I kind of just have a set schedule just to make sure that I do it. But I do find that I think when you're running here, there and everywhere, you're keeping active. And the main thing is, I think, is just to make sure that you're active on a regular Mm. basis. But definitely 
getting moving, it is important to have that burst of exercise on a regular basis just to keep your head in the right place, just to make sure that physically I want to be able to run the parents' race and not yes. be the embarrassing one at the end or anything like that. You definitely don't you want know. to collapse on no. the parents' race. It's not and a also, good look, is it? And also, as I realised with Good Morning Britain, you just never know what weird and wonderful challenges they're going to throw your way. We did the challenge where you had to hold the plank for the longest amount of time and what there was sort of the squatting against the wall challenge. This was sort of back in the day. We did a tough mudder one time. So I like to sort of just make sure my fitness is reasonably good because you yeah. never know what challenge is going to be thrown your way. And I definitely don't want to be the one that's coming last. So Have you made tweaks to your exercise regime with age? Because I certainly notice that I need to go to the gym and do weights a lot more now. Just doing the cardio isn't enough. Yeah, so that's the same for me, actually. So I actually enjoy doing the weight side of things. Yeah. I would rather be doing that than some massive long run, for example. And I found the yoga particularly helpful. I think just that whole stretching things out, just taking that time to breathe mm. as well. That one for me is a really important one. So that sort of covers the exercise and just settling your mind at the same time. So it's yeah. it's a good one that covers both of those things. And you think, oh, it's just, you know, lying around doing a bit of stretching or whatever. But actually it's it, it can be really powerful and can really help tone up your body at the same time as, I think, helping to calm your mind. Yeah. Well, maybe I will get you out for a run in the Surrey Hills <laughs> one of these days. Oh, Charlotte, I've loved talking to you today. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's so been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Charlotte literally oozes positivity. She's like a ray of sunshine. She's both physically radiant and I love her down-to-earth positive outlook. There were so many lovely takeaways from that conversation, but what stood out for me particularly was number one, the power of pausing, just stopping your life when things feel overwhelming, taking a minute to consider where you are and where you want to be. I thought that was really brilliant. And number two, coping with nerves. Charlotte is on primetime live TV every single day and she also hosts lots of big social events. I love how she keeps herself in a calm and steady place by thinking of it as just standing up and talking. That's definitely something I'm going to keep on mind next time I have to host an event. And number three, it was so moving talking to Charlotte about the death of her beloved dad, but I thought it was so sweet that they keep his memory alive for her daughter, Ella Rose, and that he even sends presents to Ella Rose. I thought that was a really lovely touch. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends, and I'd be so grateful if you could follow us. Don't forget to sign up to the In A Good Place newsletter for more discussion around personal development tips, the concept of resetting for success and to share your thoughts with me. Simply visit hellomagazine.com and click on the newsletter icon at the top to register. See you next time. Thanks again to Tenor for sponsoring this episode. For more information, visit tenor.co.uk or give them a follow on Instagram or Facebook. And if you are worried about any symptoms associated with incontinence, always seek medical advice from your GP. Tenor Discreet Pads are available in all major retailers.